0: Mm-hmm. an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's s p e a k p i p e dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that web page, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail, and we'd love to hear from you. Could be just saying hi. Or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. i to ask for His blessing on our time. Father, thanks for opportunity to get together, an opportunity to uh, really just hear from you and to take some time in your presence. We pray that you'd be glorified during this time. We pray you lead us, you guide us. We pray, God, that we would have a sensitivity to your Holy Spirit, that we would hear you, that we would listen, that, God, we would be challenged. And I pray, Father, your word would be very real to us tonight and very powerful in our lives. I ask you, God, that uh, you would move in our midst. I pray for a supernatural encounter tonight, because you're here. We're here. You're here. I pray, God, something powerful happens, changes, challenges. I pray, God, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, let's open up to uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. we talking about Solomon tonight. First Kings chapter three. I need a volunteer to read verse three. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high place. All right, thanks for reading that. Now Solomon, most of you know, was a wise man. Uh, we, we know that, you know the story of Solomon, he could ask God for whatever he was going to ask him and he asked for wisdom and God granted it. So, so he was a wise man. He was a rich man. He was also a great man, a powerful man. And the thing about Solomon was the highest praise that he received though wasn't necessarily that he was rich or that he was great or that he was wise or that he ruled the largest kingdom that Israel ever knew. I don't know that any of that was the greatest praise he ever received. The greatest praise he's ever received is that he shares with the least of the people that lived at the same time he did, was that he loved God. And he was known to be someone who loved God. And so, this verse, and don't lose it in any of the rest of the verse, but... In this verse, the most important part that you want to get out of this is that Solomon loved God. And you can look at it and you can say, all right, well, there's more to the verse. There is, but you've got to get that part first. got to hear that part first, because that's the part that is the most important part of the verse. And that's the part that sets the standard for who Solomon was. If you understand how things are usually structured when people write, you understand how this is written... And the way that it's written is that here's what's being established. Solomon loved God. That's what's being established. Then there's a qualification on that that you see toward the end of the verse. But the qualification does not outweigh, and the qualification is not more important than what's being stated at the beginning of the verse. Follow me? Because what's being stated at the beginning of the verse is what's setting the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter was that Solomon and his Solomon loved God. And if you think about love isn't something that's all or nothing. It's just not. And you know that because there, there are people in your life that you can share. You can say, well, I love this person. Well, you may love that person, but there's probably other people in your life that you love more. And there's probably other people in your life that you love less. But it doesn't mean you don't love them. It means that there's some degree of love that you experience. There's some degree of love that you live in. And we all understand that. We all, I think, kind of have an understanding that love is not, well, I love them or I don't. It's not like that. It's that we don't live in those extremes. Life doesn't live that way. And, you know, all the examples that we use that if it's not hot, it's Holy Yeah, but that's not true. Right. <laughs> And it's like, well, I love God or you don't. No, that's not true. There's love. There's a people, God, whoever you want to talk about, that we have a certain love for whomever you want to talk about, you want to describe. And it's not really an all or nothing thing. It has more to do with the heart matter. It's whatever your heart is, whatever is in you. And and it's that matter of the heart that really... It determines what that word means. Like, well, I love God. So what does that mean, though? Well, that's a matter of your heart for God. It's like if you say you love someone else, what does that mean? Well, it's a a matter of your heart toward that person. I was probably in my early 30s. By the time I got into my early 30s, I probably told maybe five or six people in my lifetime that I loved them. Because I, I determined when I was young not to even say it. I didn't mean it. And I'm not saying I didn't love people during that time. I just wasn't I knew the matter of my heart toward people it really wasn't what it was supposed to be. And so I just wouldn't say something that wasn't true. And as God began to change me and he began to soften me and open me and I began to make certain decisions in my life where I was willing to be hurt, and I really put myself into that kind of a situation, all of a sudden, my heart opened, and I was able to love people more, and I'm not saying it was automatic. I'm not saying it was instantaneous. I'm not saying it was something that just happened, but it was a reality of my life, and so, and, and, you know, when that first started, it's like, well, okay, I love this person. What does that mean? Well, that was the heart matter. That's that's what had to happen in me. And as I became more vulnerable, then I could love them more. As I began to soften, then I could love that person more. But that really had a lot to do with me. And more to do with me and the work that God was doing in me to, to soften and begin to open me to those possibilities. Now, I'm giving that example because understanding that is to understand that there's different ways that we love people, there's different kinds of love. Most of you know the Greeks, they use a bunch of different words for love. It's like, well, okay, so they, they got a word for, you know, brotherly love. And so, like Philadelphia, philos is the, the Greek word for brotherly love. That they love someone like a brother or a sister. And there's a certain love to that. Or, or they, they have like an agape love, which is a... A big love, like a God love, a universal love. And, and so there's that kind of love. Or there's sexual love. Or there's other types of love that are described in the Greek language. And so they've, they've defined it more finely. they defined what love could look like or what love could be. We don't necessarily do that in English. Because we use love for everything. And we don't even mean it it's like I love chocolate I don't love chocolate but I'm saying if I did and I said I love chocolate well I don't have any romantic love for chocolate do I? I might like the way it tastes I like to eat it or something or it provides me with some form of comfort but you know to use the word love for that use the same word for that as the word you use for God is a little bit messed up okay but we do so it's just part of our language. The reason it's messed up is because I'm not sure that we really think through that at all. Or to use that same word, I love chocolate. Well, I love my wife. Chocolate, my wife. Chocolate, my wife. Isn't mm. that messed up a little? Just a little. I'm not going to give my life for chocolate. I'm not laying down my life for uh, you know a Hershey bar or something. I'm not. And so I don't really mean I love chocolate. I might like the taste of it. Me less than other people, but I just use that as an example. Or, you know, I love my dog. Now, I know this might be a little too close to home, but I'm telling you right now, I, I love my dog, I love my wife. Two different things, or it should be. Two different things. Because I'm not going to lay down my life for my dog. I'm just not. Okay, if my dog's on some railroad tracks, the train's coming, and I can't make it in time, I'm going to have to buy another dog. <laughs> I feel bad. I really like my dog. I do. I do. But I ain't, no, no not the exchange and Make it. So, what I'm trying to get at is that we have different degrees, and we have different kinds of love. And because of our language, we use the word for so many different things, we need to be careful that it doesn't become meaningless. It's like any any word that you use as every part of speech becomes meaningless after a while. It just doesn't have the same punch that it used to. You know, if you use a word as a verb, a noun, an adverb, and an adjective, it just doesn't have the same meaning that it used to have. Like, what does that really mean? Well, reality-wise, if use uses every part of speech, it means nothing. It's just a filler. And, and part of the issue that uh, the new some of the new generation is having, that people are really noticing and it's really becoming an issue, is that young people do not have the vocabulary to express how they feel. They don't have the words. Like if they're angry, they, they have one word they'll use over and over again that doesn't really express anything. Because you think about the words that people use when they're angry, well, those words are used, some of them are used in every part of speech. They really don't have a lot of meaning. They express some some momentary exasperation, but really, is that really what needs to be expressed, or are there emotions involved? Is there anger involved? Is there something behind that anger, something driving it, some frustration that's driving that anger? well, Likely there is. But if you don't have the vocabulary to express that to anybody, where does it reside? In you. Because you can't get it out. You can't tell somebody. You can't express what you need to express because you don't have the words to do it. And unfortunately, having a temper tantrum and stomping your feet isn't really socially acceptable for an adult anymore. All right? We just can't do it? No? No? <laughs> I mean, perhaps in your own home, whatever you do, that's up to you. But I'm saying, you know, if you're, you're trying to really get into something with somebody, or trying to help somebody, or, or help yourself and talk to somebody about something that's going on in your life, you need a certain vocabulary to be able to do it. An emotional vocabulary. This is how I feel. This is what's going inside of me. This is what frustrates me. This is what makes me angry. Even if it's just that it, I'm angry right now. I'm frustrated right now. Whatever it is. But to be able to do that, to be able to express that, to be able to express whatever that emotion would be, I use anger because that's where I've heard this before. That's where I've I've heard people talking about this before. That's where I've I've heard people talking specifically about a lack of vocabulary to express. But I bet if they did studies on expressing emotions such as love, there'd be a lack of vocabulary for that too. I bet if they did studies on expressing frustration, there'd be a lack of vocabulary. I bet if they did studies on expressing whatever it would be, fear, apprehension there'd be a lack of vocabulary for people to actually do it we need to learn a vocabulary when it comes to loving God when it comes to loving the people around us we need somehow some way to be able to express that And as it's not all or nothing, just saying, I love you, doesn't express that. It doesn't. It makes a statement that you just made about a chocolate bar. (laughs) So we need something a little more if we're really going to say something to somebody. Something a little more than the magic three words that gets you everything you want. We need to be able to express and to reveal and to give our hearts. And we need a vocabulary to do that. Now, in that verse, it says, Solomon loved God. And he did. The statement made about Solomon they loved God. God loved him. It was something that was part of a reciprocal relationship that you look at Solomon's father, and you look at Solomon, and you look at the same God who loved them both. Cared for them both, chose them both, put them both in the positions that they were in, and took care of both of them, and blessed both of them. There was a loving relationship, reciprocal relationship, that was evident in their lives. This was. You know, I remember a few weeks ago I was talking about Solomon, how he wasn't the firstborn and he wasn't the lastborn, but God chose him. God chose him, and he knew God chose him, because the old the old kids were upset, the young kids were everybody's upset. But how are you gonna be upset? God chose him, and he knew God had chosen him. He knew that he was somebody that was loved by God. He knew that God was taking care of him. He knew that God was blessing him, and all of those things are taking place. See, this was set. It was settled. It was settled in his heart. It was settled in the heart of God. And so the first part of this verse is the most important part of the verse because it sets the standard. It sets what the truth is. What's the truth? God loved Solomon. Solomon loved God. Greatest statement we can make about it. There it is. Alright, so let's establish that. Instead of concentrating on the last half of the verse, let's just look at that half and let's establish that in our hearts. Establish that in your mind. Okay, we're done. Established. Now, you get to the rest of the verse. There's a, there's a statement there, and I forget, Jeannie, what your Bible said. Some of your Bible say but, and some of your Bible say only. It's on your Bible say however. What does yours say? Accept that. Except. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're going to go with but. <laughs> now, but accepts, however, whatever is there only. It qualifies the statement. It qualifies the established statement of what? Solomon loved God. So you have to have that statement. Solomon in your mind before the rest of this verse makes any sense. Solomon loved God. God loved Solomon. Boom. Solomon's being protected. Solomon's being blessed. Solomon has received the, the manifold blessings of God. Solomon has received the wisdom of God. Solomon is being used by God to direct the affairs of his people. All of these things are true. That has to be established first. Then you get the qualifying statement. But... And all I have to say is this, we all have a but. That was kind of funny, right? No, okay, no. We all have a however, we all have a whatever. Except. What was it? Except. Except. Yeah, and, and see, this is where you get tripped up. This is where we get tripped up because it's the way we read things, the way we understand things. What I tell you about this verse? What's the most important part of this verse? So I'm going to love God. God loves Solomon. Most important part of the verse. There's a qualifying statement to that verse, and that is that Solomon, Solomon, alright, did something and was participating in something that was a little bit questionable. That was a lot questionable. Did that mean he didn't love God? No. No the beginning of that verse is not negated by the qualification to it. It's not. The beginning of that verse is established as fact. The qualification to it helps us understand it a little better. And this is what I want you to really understand about this. You all have a however in your life. We all have a but in our life. We all have a, an only in our life. Whatever that word is in your version, we all have that in our life. And we can't let that trip us up. If you came out of a particularly religious background, that trips you up. Because somehow, some way, somebody told you and convinced you, and it has to be just brainwashing, that either you're perfect or God doesn't love you. And I know you're saying, no, I didn't believe that. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did, actually. Whether you realize it or not, Because every time a qualification came into your life, in other words, you looked at your life and you came up short. All of a sudden it's like, well, do I really love God? Does He really love me? Uh, Yeah, that's an established fact. You've got this other thing going on in your life. It doesn't negate the first thing. It just qualifies it so you can understand your life better without pretending you're somebody you're not. Without ignoring things that are actually going on in your life. Without looking at things in your life and turning the other way. Or without justifying the things that are going on in your life. Because see, there's a real problem when you begin to lie to yourself. There's a real problem when you begin to lie to God. Especially because you don't need to. God loves you. He loved you before you even knew Him. He loved you first. And you've heard me talk about this a lot, but somehow it just pours out of your head as soon as I say it. God loved you first. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. You did nothing to earn it. You did nothing to somehow garner it. You did nothing to somehow convince Him to love you. He didn't look on you and say, oh yeah, there's my perfect child. I'm going to love you. No. You were messed up, some of you more than others. Some of us were messed up more than others. And while we were in that State, God loved us and at some point we came to a place in our life where we started loving him back great and so he loves us and we start loving him back let that be your baseline let that be that thing that is a constant in your life I love God how much do you love him? I don't know. That's between you and him. That's your heart matter. Is everything gonna be perfect in your life? No. You gonna make mistakes? Yeah. You participate in things, make bad decisions? Yeah. Does that mean you don't love God? No. No? No, it doesn't. It's just the reality of being a human being. Reality of being a human being is you're going to make mistakes. Reality of being a human being, you're going to misunderstand stuff. Reality of being a human being, you're going to go do things that, that you shouldn't do. You're going to make bad decisions. Sometimes you're going to make bad decisions in ignorance because you don't know any better. Other times you're going to make bad decisions because you're just rebellious. I mean, stupidity is not an excuse for a bad decision. It's still a bad decision. There might be a reason for it, it's just not an excuse for it. So, it happens. What? Yeah, it happens. So, so what do you do with that? Oh, I'll pretend I didn't do that. No? No, how do you learn from it if you pretend you didn't do it? Well, I'll make an excuse for it. Well, how do you learn from it if you just make an excuse for it? Well, I'll, I'll just justify it somehow and it'll be okay. No, how do you learn from it? if you spend all your time justifying your bad decisions, uh, we have an opportunity to learn, we have an opportunity to grow. I can't tell you the amount of time that I've wasted listening to people justifying bad decisions to me. And I'm saying wasted time. Because I don't care. You don't have to justify a bad decision to me. What I'm looking for, and really, I, I think... What matters is that you recognize it as a bad decision, and you learn from it. That, that's great use of time right there. I'll listen to that all day. But if you want to tell me how you did this thing that was hurtful to you and hurtful to the people around you, but it was really okay, just shut up. Because you are wasting your time doing that and mine. There's no reason for it. I've done plenty of things that have hurt other people. I have. I've done plenty of things that have hurt myself. I have. I understand it. I'm not that person that you need to somehow justify your life to. I'm not. I want to see you grow and get better. I want to see you change. I do want to see that. That does my heart great when I see people changing and I see people making better decisions and I see people learning from the things that they've done. That does my heart really, really well. It it, it spurs me on to continue doing what I do. It spurs me on to continue pouring into people and discipling people and teaching people and doing the things that I do. I love it. But the whole excuse-making justification thing, that's just got to go. I mean, Adam and Eve, they justified what they did to God in the garden, right? Their, their disobedience? Well, it was the serpent. Well, it was the woman. Well, it was this. It was that. We saw it look good to eat, so we ate. Did, did it change anything? Did any of their excuses change anything? Anything they said, anything, any justification they came up did it change anything? No, it didn't change anything. Nothing. In fact, the Bible's pretty good about that. You look in through the Bible and you see people that try to justify You see people that are trying to explain things away. You see people that aren't learning from their mistakes. It does not get better. Nothing changes for the better when people live like that. What happens is is that when people recognize, all right, that was a bad decision. That, That was a poor decision. I'm making some poor choices right now. I need to change. You know what happens then? Good stuff happens then. Okay? That's when the good stuff happens. That's when all the forgiveness happens. That's when the cleansing happens. That's when I learn from my mistakes and repentance happens. That's when I start living a different way happens. Mostly. That's when it happens. Then, not the excuse time, not the justification time, not the explain it away time, just see, I was wrong, and let me grow from this. Because that's what God has for us. That's what he provides for us. That's what he gives us. But what's describes Solomon is an inward affection with an outward walk. In other words, there's something in Solomon, in his heart, that was that degree of whatever it was, that, that hearts matter with God. That was real on the inside that became something on the outside. Loving God. I have irritated so many people with this statement. Maybe I'll irritate you tonight. Maybe not. Loving God is shown in our lives by obedience. Loving God is shown in our lives by obedience. As the Bible says you're walking in, walking in obedience. In other words, seeing obedience is not a just one at a time thing, but seeing obedience is a journey and a lifestyle, a way of progress. Yeah, walking in the ways, statutes of his father David. You see, it's the way that we carry on our lives. Somebody look at First uh, John 2.4. New Testament. First John. It's right before 2 John. Toward the end. Go to Revelation. Go backwards. Then it's right after Second John. 1 John. 1 John. Whoever says I know it. But does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him yeah so there's a verse talks about knowing God and if you say you know him but you don't want to obey there's probably something wrong with that equation if your life doesn't reflect that now in other words am I saying that you're obedient in every single thing no nobody is except for Jesus Am I saying that every little thing that God ever tells you to do, you do it? No. Nobody can say that except for Jesus. Nobody. What we're talking about is a walk. What we're talking about is a journey. What we're talking about is a lifestyle. Could you imagine trying to walk but evaluating every step you take to make sure it's perfect? Okay, in other words, your foot is straight straight. Your heel, certain portion of your heel strikes. And your foot rolls a certain way. You come off your toes a certain way. And that's exactly what's going to happen every single time you take a step. Would you ever want to take a walk? No, man. That sucks. That's terrible. Well, that's what people do in their walk with God. They, they get on a journey with God, but they're so preoccupied with every detail of every step, they they miss the journey. They miss what they're actually doing. They never live. What God calls us to is, is more of a a way of seeing life, a way of journeying through life. And it's a way of obedience. And most of you know, I, and I've shared this story before, but Back when I was involved in campus ministry, uh, we were trying to just figure things out. I was a student. All these guys were students. And I remember meeting one time. We are having our weekly meeting, me and the leadership. And we were just talking. We are like, yeah. And we started talking about loving God. And one of the guys there is like, well, I think we should really emphasize loving God in, this semester. Because we're doing our planning. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. Like, well, what do you want to emphasize? Well, I think I want to emphasize, you know, uh, like the emotional side, blah, blah, telling time, all that stuff. He was a musician, so I'll give him that. And then I said, all right, well, then we need to talk about obedience. And he got really mad at me. He's like, why? Why do you gotta ruin it with that? And I went back to a verse in First John, where it talks about, you know, this idea that loving God is about having a relationship with God is about obedience. But see, he, he was such a perfectionist in his music, he, he was evaluating every step of the walk instead of seeing it as a journey. He was so self-critical that when, as soon as I mentioned obedience, all I could think of is like how much he failed every day. All I could think of was all the times that he messed up. All I could think of was all the times that he just didn't do what he was supposed to do. All the times that he didn't hear and do. All the times he didn't just follow after what God told him to do. And he just began to beat himself up and he made him angry to me because I just mentioned the word obedience. But obedience isn't a bad thing. It's just not. And we're not called to be that self-critical about it. But we're called to something bigger. We're called to a journey. We're called to a walk with our Creator that is so much more than than, than stressing over the details of a moment. And really, God doesn't want us stressing over those details. And if you're a self-critical person and you struggle with that, this might be a hard concept for you. But God doesn't want us struggling over these little things, over these little moments that we face with Him, over every little part of every little step that we're ever going to take in this big journey that we're taking with our God. But he wants us free. And he wants us at liberty. And he wants us just walking with him. You think about the David, and we go back to David, and this verse talks about how Solomon followed in the way, or walked in the way, of his father David. Well, that's a pretty big statement. That's a pretty big statement. That he would walk in the way of his father David. Because you think about David. David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man who God loved tremendously, who loved God tremendously. He was somebody that was blessed. He was imperfect, however. Was Solomon perfect? No. No person has ever been perfect, ever, except for Jesus. That's the only perfection we know. That's it. And so a big statement is being made here about David and about Solomon. That David is being held up as the example of loving God, of serving God, of obeying God. David is the example of being loved by God. And so Solomon is being compared to that as if he walked in the ways and the statutes of his father, David. But was David perfect? No but he's still an example. Follow me? He's still the standard. Then you got Solomon. Is Solomon perfect? No. But he's walking in the statutes of his father David. David impressed upon his son Solomon to honor and to obey God. And that's what Solomon did. Let that sink in. Now, the qualification of that, in other words, the but of it, it's so what we were getting at, if you remember, we are talking about that just then. We need to see the but in our life, the, the howevers, as opportunities for change. You see, disobedience is a warning when we notice it in our lives. It's not something that, that should throw us off the, the love rails, the, the train rails of love, that we're on with God, it doesn't throw us off. It doesn't somehow make us un- unlovable. It doesn't somehow throw us off track when it comes to our relationship with God. It doesn't do any of those things. But what it should do is provide an opportunity for us to examine ourselves and to be aware of things that we tolerate in our life. Because there's certain things that we tolerate in our life. Do you start. And and you know there's certain things in your life that you tolerate, you know it. And there's certain things you don't tolerate. There's certain things I'll tolerate as a church And there's certain things I won't tolerate. There's certain things I think are more important than others. And so, I will tolerate things that I don't consider to be that important over things that I do consider to be important. Why do I consider to be important? There's certain things in the scriptures that are more emphasized than others. That matter when it comes to ministry. That matter when it comes to what God has for us. That matter when it comes to living for God. That matter when it comes to being used by God. Some things I think are a lot more important than other things. Now I know that everybody else in the whole grit eating world, the Christian world, doesn't agree with me. That's okay. They can go do their thing. I'm doing mine. But uh, I have a bunch of people that sure are used by God in evangelism and prophecy and worship God and pray and intercede and are being used to the glory of the kingdom. They're answering calls into foreign mission, and it's important foreign mission. They're going themselves. I've got a bunch of people seem to be really excited about Jesus. And I can't say that for all the churches that are so worried about the little stuff. And you can agree, disagree, I don't care. I stopped caring about 12 years ago, 13 years ago. I don't know. At some point, I just stopped caring. So so what do you need to worry about? Well, in your own life, not my life, your life, if you're thinking about somebody else, stop. Think about yourself. In your life, what you need to be concerned about are things that you're tolerating. In other words, things that are being pointed out to you that you're tolerating. Disobedience is a warning. It's something that should resonate in our heart, resonate in our mind. Give us a reason to examine ourselves. Because what are they mention here? He mentions the high places. But what's the high places? This is a qualification on Solomon. Solomon loved God. God loved Solomon. Blessing of God. He was a great man, a wise man, a rich man, powerful man. But there's the high places. What did that mean? Well, the high places were places where sacrifices took place. Um, now, Solomon had tolerated, and he was tolerating, the high places. And the problem with the high places is there was always the danger of idolatry creeping back in. There were the old places where people used to sacrifice to idols. They were the old places where people were, would sacrifice to idols again. And that was always the danger of the high places. And so Solomon had tolerated that not only in his kingdom, but also in his own life. Now remember, this is before the temple was built. Okay, There was a tabernacle, which was a movable structure that had been set up, and that's where the sacrifices were taking place, but there was no permanent temple that had been built yet. And so before the temple had been built, the high places were somewhat... Tolerated. Now David didn't participate in the high places, although they existed during his kingdom. Solomon, however, did. And so there are two reasons this was a problem. Two dangers. One, first danger was it for idolatry come back in, as I said. The second danger was to the unity of the nation, because people were worshiping in multiple places. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you think about it, remember Jesus was saw the woman at the well? Alright. Why she starts, she tried to pick a fight with him right away. Because she was a Samaritan. Right. He's from not Samaria. Right? So he's from Galilee, Jerusalem. And so he's like, Well you Jews believe that the only place to worship God is in Jerusalem but we believe, the Samaritans believe, that they just worship God in Samaria. And so he tried to pick a fight with them. Why? Because they were divided. And she was trying to say, yeah, we got it right, you got it wrong. Well, that's the point. That's what I'm trying to say. The danger of having the high places was this, that people who worship at a certain high place, well, this is where God really is. Or at that high place, that's where God really is. Or people worship at the tabernacle. David's tabernacle. It was set up in Jerusalem. Well, this is where God really is. Well, where is God? Well, Jesus made the statement. He said, well, there's coming a time, and this was the time of Jesus, and afterward, were they that worship God going to worship Him how? Spirit, truth. And spirit and truth. Well, that's what we know. But in their day, having all these multiple places endangered the nation to fracture it. So you had the temptation of idolatry, but you also had a nation being fractured through multiple places to worship. Now it was also prohibited by the law, these high places. Leviticus 178, Deuteronomy 12, 13 and 14, Jeremiah 7.31, Hosea 10.8. I'll talk about. Don't do that. But Solomon was doing that. So reconcile that. Reconcile. I want you to do it in your mind. I want you to reconcile this because you need to reconcile this for Solomon and in doing so, you need to reconcile this for yourself. So Solomon is tolerating this practice in his own life. But he loved God. God loved him. God blessed him. God honored him. God gave him wisdom. He was a rich man. He was a great man. He was a powerful man. And he lived under the blessing of God. But he tolerated these things. Reconcile that. Do you need to? I mean, he was doing something that violated something that God said, don't do this. He was doing something that could lead people into idolatry. He was doing something that could fracture his kingdom. Reconcile it. I mean you think about things in your life I said everybody has a butt, right? You think about things in your life that could hurt you and hurt other people that you tolerate. Does that mean God doesn't love you? No? You mean you don't love God? No? No? No, it doesn't. Does it mean God won't bless you? No? That's not what I mean. God doesn't care about you? No, he does care about you. God loves you? You love God. And so, the way that's going to be expressed in our life, what did I say before? It's through what? Obedience. Now, what's obedience? But it's a journey. It's a walk. It's the way we choose to go about our lives. And so, not everything is perfection Right away. But there are things that go on in our lives, there's things that are tolerated in our lives, there's things that are hurtful, there's things that hurt other people, there's things that are part of who we are, but they don't negate the first part of the statement. These don't. And for some of you, you need to let go of that mentality. And that's really what I'm hoping for tonight. I'm not trying to say Solomon was right in what he was doing. Whatever. That's him, that's his heart, that's his walk with God. If I ever achieve anything, any fraction of what Solomon achieved, I'll be doing pretty good. Yeah. In my little life that I'm living, I got no room to look at Solomon and tell him how it's done. And neither do you. None of us do That's why we don't judge each other. That's why I don't judge your walk and you don't judge mine. That's why I don't get all upset about that part of your life that maybe I don't like and you don't get upset about that part of my life that you don't like. Because the walk that I'm on with Jesus and the walk that I'm on in His love and the walk that I'm on in relationship with Him and the walk that I'm on that we're... I'm learning to be more and more obedient every day and I'm examining myself every day and I'm seeing the things that I'm tolerating and I'm taking that disobedience as a warning and and I'm being refined more and more every day. Not according to what you think should be done, but according to what God thinks should be done. Now what God thinks should be done in my life might not even be on your list of things that need to be done in my life. And the same is true for you. The things I'm looking at you and saying, wow, it would really be cool if they could uh, stop doing that. You know, like dropping the F-bomb or something during testimony time. It would be cool if they stopped doing that. That may not be number one on God's list. Okay? And I'm not really one to say what's number one on His list, but probably that's not it. And He may get to that eventually, which He usually does, but it may be down the road a little bit. Can I tolerate that? Yep, I can. Can I tolerate your imperfection? I certainly hope so. And I expect you to tolerate mine. And that's how it works. And that's how we begin to grow together. That's how we begin to mature together. That's how we share life together. That's the tolerance, the, the grace and the mercy that God pours onto our life one to another. That's why Jesus took great praying pains to say, don't judge, lest you be judged. I don't want to be judged, so I don't. Now, meow. This is part where I I want you to take this to heart. Because more than not judging me or the person next to you, I want you to stop judging yourself. All right? It's one thing to examine yourself. It's another thing to look for opportunities for change. It's another thing to look and say, oh, this this would be a great time for growth in my life. That's one thing. It's another thing to be so critical of yourself that it paralyzes you in your faith, and I really want to encourage you to stop doing that if Solomon was as awesome as the Bible says he is and and yet he still has this butt or however or whatever your Bible says going on in his life, I think we can uh let up the judgment pedal a little bit in our own life. Let up the self-criticism in our own life. You should just try just loving God. Try it. Try letting Him love you for a while. And just live that way for a little while. He's not going to cast you out He's not going to leave you in the dark. He's not going to leave you behind somewhere. If you just love him for a while and receive his love, you'd be doing yourself a favor by doing that. And just take it easy on yourself. Am I saying never change? No. Just take it a little while. Even if it's a day, two days, three days. You're not going to get struck by lightning in three days. okay. Let it go. Rest into some of His love. Love Him. And let that love in you grow. Let it grow. Let it fill even more of you. Let it fill even more of your heart. Let that love just expand out into your spirit. And it's loving. And experience that because that's so much more important. So much more important in the big scheme of things. Because once you're, you're, you're able to experience that, once you have found some peace in that and some joy in that, change becomes more natural and a more positive experience in your life. You're not under the gun. It's like you got somebody really pulling for you. Somebody really wants to help you. Somebody really wants to see you as more than you are now. And you can actually believe it. So let's pray just for a few moments. Let the Holy Spirit just speak to you and make that some real stuff for you. Father, I have to ask you that uh, you would speak into our lives and our hearts tonight. I thank you that your love for us is real. Old Testament, New Testament, don't matter. Your love is real. And you love them. You love us. You give us the opportunity to love you. And how much we love you, I can't answer that. It's a matter of my heart toward you. It's a matter of each of our hearts toward you. I do pray for us that we have some bigger love for you. That you would help us to open our heart even bigger. You'd help us to trust you even more. Help us to believe even more. Help us, God, to, to be vulnerable with you even more than we have been. But I pray a bigger love for you in us. And I pray, God, for some of us, we could just take some time over the next few days just to love you and to receive the love that you have for us. To learn to live in that love. To learn to dwell in that love. To learn to to find rest in that love with nothing else. Just love. God, I just want to say thanks that you you understand our imperfection. You created us. You made us. We are who we are. And so we're in a process, we're in a walk, we're in a journey. I just pray that we can find rest and peace and joy in that journey. Instead of it being a chore, instead of it just being one step after another, just trudging along, I pray, God, that we can find a joy in that journey and in that walk with you. And, Father, even as you walk through the garden in the cool of the day, we learn what that means as we journey and as we walk with you in our lives now. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for loving us. Yeah. Give you thanks. We honor you. We ask you in Jesus' name. Let's pray by saying, amen. amen? Amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, mm-hmm. you know. We super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of the faith community. Like the comunidad. Well, yeah, there's a lot of people. Yeah. Yep. Started in 1997.